the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. News. WTBN. Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. See, if you are convinced that your request is consistent with what Scripture says is the will of God, then you must not quit. You must continue to ask. You must continue to seek and and knock because you believe, based on His Word, that God is going to answer your prayer. This is faith. Faith walks by an understanding of what Scripture says. We walk not by sight, but by what we know to be true in the Word of God. When we give up and stop praying, that is a pretty solid indication that we do not believe God will answer our prayers. Welcome to Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher, and we are wrapping up a study today on Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. We have been seeing the close ties between answered prayers, our own walk with the Lord, and our responsibility to help fellow Christians who have slipped into sin. Now, there are four important principles regarding answered prayer that we should keep in mind. First, God only answers the prayers of His children and then only when they are living obedient lives and praying according to His will. Pastor Steve will begin our lesson today with the fourth principle, and then we will move on from there. We have a lot to cover today if we hope to finish the lesson, so let's get started. Here is Pastor Steve. Now, there's a fourth principle that I think is very important. Principle number four about answered prayer. The specific words, notice, that Jesus used in verses in verse 7 and then verse 8 to describe praying asking seeking and knocking all indicate that God answers the the prayers of those who persevere in seeking him that's very important that we be persistent and not give up see this is a promise for believers yes for believers who are praying according to God's will yes for believers who are in fellowship with Christ yes but this is only a promise for those who are like that who continue to pray and refuse to stop praying for wisdom and and discernment and courage and loving sensitivity in approaching someone about their sin. In other words, those who pray with persistency and steadfastness will receive from God answers to their prayers. Those who don't will not. Now, I suspect that most of us give up too quickly in praying for those issues that we, we know are God's will because his word tells us and, and we pray for a little while and then we give up. Why do we give up? Well, probably because we're just very impatient. We're impatient Americans who are used to instant gratification, getting whatever we want, and it doesn't work that way. And we need patience. But there's more than patience that's needed to persevere in in our prayers. We also need to believe God and have faith and confidence in the Lord to answer our prayers in his perfect timing. See, faith is the reason. And note this, that God so often doesn't answer our prayers right away. He could, but he doesn't. Not often. Why? Because he wants to deepen our faith. He wants to cultivate our faith. And he does this by putting us in the place where we are forced to keep leaning upon him. 
You, you come to the end of your own resources and you say, Lord, this is, I know this is the only way that this will ever happen. I need your wisdom. I need your prayers. I need your help. I need your, your compassion. I need your love. I can't do this without you. There's a deepening of faith. And Lord, I, I believe this is consistent with your word and I'll, I'll not let you go. It's kind of like Jacob who grabbed hold of God in the Old Testament and would not let him go until there was a blessing. In fact, Jesus addressed this issue of faithful perseverance and persistence in a story he gave in Luke chapter 11. Let's let's turn there. Luke chapter 11, which is a parallel passage of what we're studying in Matthew 7. Now, whether the Lord gave this this teaching at a separate time or this is the same time and, and Luke is just recording it in a different way, we're not sure. But added to Luke's account is a story Jesus gave beginning at verse 5. He said this, then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Jesus said, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And then in Luke's account, he says, so I say to you, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be open. Now, what's the point of this story? Let me tell you what it's not. The it's important that you and I understand that the Lord is not saying that God is like this man's grumpy friend. This is a grouchy man. Of course, we understand being woken up in the middle of the night and all that, but he's a grumpy man. And the Lord is not saying, look, if you just annoy God enough, he'll, he'll give you what you want just to keep you quiet and get you off his back. He'll reluctantly give you this. No, that's a pagan view of God. We've already seen that in previous study in the Sermon on the Mount. That is not the way God is. No, the point of the story is to say this, that even if a grumpy man will respond to his friend's persistence, how much more will our loving Heavenly Father? See, the Lord is saying that God the Father is not like this grumpy man. He's not like him at all. This is not a comparison. It's a contrast. But if persistence makes a difference, even with the grumpy grouchy fellow in the middle of the night, then how much more will a loving, willing, non-reluctant heavenly father respond to the persistence of his children's request? The point of this is to say, be persistent. That's the point. Now you may ask, but why does God want us to be persistent at all? And I, I just sort of addressed this, but let me, let me expand on this. The answer seems to be that persistence in praying reveals our faith, as well as it stretches our faith. It it forces us to come to grips with what do I really believe? Do I believe that this is God's will? If I do, I'm I'm, I'm not going to give up. This is what God wants. I'm convinced of this. I'm going to be stretched and I'm going to lean on the Lord and I'm going to have confidence in him. See, if you are convinced that your request is consistent with what scripture says is the will of God, then you must not quit. You must continue to ask. You must continue to seek and and knock because you believe based on his word that God is going to answer your prayer. This is faith. Faith walks by an understanding of what scripture says. 
We walk not by, by sight, but by what we know to be true in the word of God. I love what Kent Hughes said about this. He wrote, persistence is an indication of our soul's confidence. It's a great statement. Persistence is an indication of our soul's confidence. The door opens not because hands are bruised in knocking, but because pounding hands value what Jesus directs his followers to pray for and because they believe he will answer. And listen to this. He said, ask, seek, knock is the hidden fire of the heart that believes God will answer. I love that. It's the hidden fire. Do you have that hidden fire in your heart? Do you have that hidden fire of faith that believes that God will answer those prayers that are his will? Then you must be persistent in asking him to do what you know his word says he will do. And if he doesn't do it today, you keep praying. If he doesn't do it next week, you keep praying. If he doesn't do it for six months or a year, you keep praying. And God in his perfect timing will answer. Question is why? Why will God answer? Why will he do this? Why does he answer our prayers? As I said before, it's not because he's like that grumpy man who just does it to get rid of us. I'm just sick of hearing your voice. That's not it at all. God answers the persistent prayers of his children. Note this, simply because he's a loving father who enjoys giving his children what's good for them. Now, some of us need to get hold of that. God is a loving father who enjoys giving his children what's good for them. His goal is not to make your life miserable. His goal is is not to hurt you. He has your best interests at heart. And this is precisely what Jesus goes on to say in verses 9 through 11. When he asks this, Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, meaning a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he'll not give him a snake, will he? If you then, this is a great statement, if you then being evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Now, in these verses, Jesus illustrates the love that God has for his children by asking a couple of questions, which everybody knows the answer to. There's no need to even go into this in much detail. He asks, what kind of a father would give his son a flat stone that looks like a loaf of bread? And the answer is no loving father would be so cruel as to give his son something that as soon as he bit into it, he'd crack his teeth. That's what, that's what this is saying. What kind of a loving father would do? No loving father. Give his son, he asked for bread, here's a, here's a loaf, or he asked for a loaf of bread, here's a stone, looks like a loaf, and the son trusts his father, takes it, bites into it, and breaks his, his teeth. And what kind of a father, Jesus asked, would give his son a snake if he asked for a fish? The answer is there's, there's no father who loves his son who would give him something that could kill him like a poisonous snake. See, loving fathers are not cruel. Loving fathers don't harm their children. They give their children what they believe is best for them. And Christ's purpose in speaking about a human father's love and concern for his children is is to illustrate something of God's astonishing love for his own children. Verse 11, I'll read it again. This is... I know we've said it before, but this is one of the great statements in Scripture. You have concerns. Maybe you grew up in a home where your father didn't show the kind of love to you that, that you wish that he had. This is a verse you need to get hold of. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? 
Now, aside from illustrating God's love for us, which is the main point of this, this verse does affirm that man is fallen and evil in his nature. If you've never seen that before, see it here. Jesus isn't talking, I might add, about cruel, inhumane fathers. He's not talking about the reprobates of society who who end up in prison. He's not talking about that. He's just talking about human fathers in general. And 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 he lumps us all together. And he said, if you being evil know how to do good things for your children, and we are evil. All of us are evil, and you can expand it to parents. This is a verse affirming the depravity and evil wickedness of the human heart. So his whole point is this. If human fathers are sinful and evil by nature, and we are, and yet we give good gifts to our children, still being evil and sinful, but yet we give good gifts to our children, then certainly God the Father, who is perfect and sinless, he will give his children what's best for them. What a great, great truth. Now, what good gifts is he talking about? Most of us, if we were to be polled and, and we said, someone said, well, what, what good gifts do you think? Of? Well, we'd probably say health and, you know, a lot of money and material things, but that's not it at all. That's what we tend to think are the good gifts But the good gifts that Jesus is specifically talking about here in context are the answers to our prayers for helping a fellow Christian address sin in his life. Because that's what God considers good. That's what he considers the best. It's a priority. In other words, these good gifts are such things as as wisdom, courage, a loving and, and kind heart, sensitivity, tenderness, compassion, and on and on it goes. In other words, everything we need to approach others about their sin. See, as I said before, what this reveals is that God puts getting along with one another and a believer in right relationship with him um, as the highest priority. It's a a matter that, that means a great deal to him that his children not be offensive and not be insulting one another in the way we go about confronting each other. He doesn't want church splits. He doesn't want alienation, one believer from another. He doesn't want anger going on between believers. He doesn't want one believer not talking to another believer. And so he tells us, these are the good things, the good things that I'll give you so you minister effectively to one another. And he is so concerned that we treat each other properly that he closes this section in his sermon by directly telling us how to treat one another when we have to be confrontational. And so the first principle that the Lord has given for helping us deal with another sin is he tells us pray for God's help. Secondly, the second principle for helping someone deal with their sin is practice the golden rule. Yes, pray, but practice the golden rule. Verse 12, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Not only are we to pray for the Lord to give us wisdom in ministering to a brother or a sister in sin, but Jesus gives us a principle here to guide us in our relationship with others. He says, treat them the way you want them to treat you. The golden rule. In other words, if it were you who were in sin, how would you want a fellow Christian to deal with you? That is exactly what he's talking about. If the shoe were on the other foot, How would you want them approaching you? You certainly wouldn't want them to be abrasive, cold, blunt, tactless, condescending, self-righteous, insensitive. You wouldn't want someone to approach you and deal with you that way. You'd want 
him to treat you in such a way that you knew that he loved you and you knew that he was concerned for your spiritual welfare and you knew that he was willing to help you work through this problem, that he could counsel and advise and and he really cared about you. And then Jesus said, if that's true, and it is, and that's exactly the way that you must treat others. The same way you would want them to approach you if you were in sin, that's how you're to approach somebody else who's in sin. And this truth of treating others the way you would want them to treat you, Jesus said it actually sums up the entire Old Testament, the message of the Old Testament. This this may be surprising to many of you, but this is exactly what Jesus meant when he said, this is the law and the prophets. In other words, listen closely. All the laws, rules, and regulations given by Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament come down to just one thing and one thing only, love. Love. The law is not contrary to love. The law is about love. Let me explain. When you love God, you obey him. Not because you have to, not because there's a law about it, but you love him. You love him. It's not a law. You love him. You obey his word. And when you love others, you treat them precisely the way you want them to treat you. That's why I remember when a man came to Jesus one day and said, and he was trying to trick him, get him in trouble. He said, uh, Rabbi or teacher, he said, tell us, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he added, the man didn't ask this, but Jesus added, and the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Folks, that sums it up. Let me illustrate it this way with an illustration that Lloyd-Jones points out in his commentary. He said, if you see your, your neighbor's ox straying, then you don't bring it back to your neighbor because there's a law that says you must. The law did say if you saw your neighbor's ox straying and lost, you're to go get get him and bring him back. But, But why do you do that? Not because there's a law that says you must do that. No, he says you you know that uh, to bring your neighbor's ox back to him because you love him, because you're interested in his welfare, you know it would be a horrible thing to lose your ox. It'd be like losing your livelihood in an an agricultural um, society. Of course that would be. And so if it were your ox on the loose, you'd want him to bring it back to you so you'd do the same thing for him. Do you see what he's saying? So many people think the law was about putting burdens on people to do all of these things, these, these, these little uh, piddly, all kinds of rules and regulations and codes, and they had to do it. And there are still people who are doing that kind of stuff. And they're burdened about that. Jesus said the whole point is that if you love others, you, you want to do this. This is how you behave. So if I, if I love my neighbor, I don't covet his wife. If I love my neighbor, I don't lie about him and give false witness. If I love my neighbor, then I, I don't kill him or harm him. See, the law is all about love. And what Jesus has done here is simply take that summary principle of the law and applied it to the way in which we speak to one another about a sin issue in their lives. That's all he's done. Therefore, in light of this, I I urge you, I exhort you, think through how would you like someone specifically, tangibly, to confront you about sin that they noticed in your life? Think about that. What would you like them to say to you? What would you want their tone of voice to be? What would you want their counsel to be, their compassion, their availability to help you? The answer, in whatever way you answer those questions, that's the way you are to treat others in confronting them. 
And if you say, well, you know what? I've, I've been treated horribly in the past by people. They haven't been very nice to me. Then learn from that. It's not, it's not a good feeling to have that. Don't do that to others, even if they've treated you or someone has treated you poorly. Jesus said, that sums up the message of the whole Old Testament. Love them enough to treat them the same way that you would want to be treated. Let's bow for prayer. If we follow these guidelines in removing the speck out of people's eyes, then folks, it means that you're going to need to be diligent in your prayer life. Is there someone or something that you've been praying about that you've just given up because it's just been so long? Get back to that. Be persistent. Be persevering. Don't last just a few days. Just keep at it. Go back to this message. Go back to these verses. Keep at it. You see someone who's in sin in their, in their life and you know that you need to speak to them. Nobody else is going to. Then you need to follow this. Keep praying until your heart is changed. Till you love them enough and you have compassion and you know it's the right timing and you know biblical principles and the tone of voice is right and, and, and all of that. And you really care about their welfare. Keep praying for them. And then treat them. And know exactly what you're going to say and how you're going to treat them and your availability to them. Know what you're going to do by knowing how they, how you would like them to treat you. This is how you remove the specks, the specks of sin from others, from the eyes and lives of, of others. Now, I urge you to do that. Don't, don't let this message just pass you by because we all know people in the body of Christ who need to be talked to from time to time. And we, we need to be talked to from time to time. We need to be loved enough that people will, will care about us to confront us. If you don't follow this, you're setting yourself up for hurtful relationships, misunderstanding, alienation, disruption of fellowship. So follow this. Now, for those of you who don't know Christ, someday all who have never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior will be confronted about their sin, but it won't be us confronting you. It'll be the Lord himself. And then it'll be too late. You won't repent. You won't repent because at that point, you'll be standing before Jesus as the great judge of the universe at what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. It'll be too late. So now is the acceptable time for salvation. If you know you're a sinner, you know that Christ died for sinners, then repent of your sin. Turn away from anything you're aware of that's wrong in your life. And trust Christ to save you, save you and forgive you with a heart that says, Lord, I want to follow you. I want you to be my Lord. I've been the Lord of my life all of these years. I want to turn my life over to you. You be the master. If we could be of any help in that, myself, our staff, our elders, then let us know. We want to help you to come to know the Savior. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for a portion of scripture that, that addresses this, Lord. And, and we need help in this area. Lord, some of us don't know how to get along with one another, how to deal in a compassionate way with someone who is in sin. And sometimes we just tend to turn away and not want to face the awkwardness of, of telling them that this is wrong. But if we really love them, Lord, we won't turn away because faithful are the wounds of a friend. The kisses of an enemy are, are deceptive, deceitful. We'll tell them everything's all right when it's not all right. Or we'll just be silent. Help us to love each other enough to want to help each other. And Lord, I pray that you'll work in all of our hearts, that our prayer lives would be deepened and our compassion for others will be deepened and that we'll put this into practice. Not speaking to someone 
outside of the picture about a brother or sister's sin, but speaking to you and then going to them. So I pray you'll apply this to our lives. I also pray that you'll work in the hearts of those who, who don't know you, that they'll see their need for you and that you'll bring them to repentance and faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We absolutely need God's help in order to be help to our friends. Isn't it good to know that God has promised to provide that help as we live for Him and ask for it with persistence? It is good to have you with us in our class today. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been serving for over 27 years at Lakeside, and these daily classes are an extension of his teaching ministry. If you would like to hear today's lesson again, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can either listen online or download the audio file to your computer. We also offer a free podcasting service and a complimentary newsletter. In our next verse-by-verse radio Bible class, Pastor Steve will continue our series of lessons from Matthew. I'm Peter Silseth. I hope to see you then. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. We are here to give you strength between. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.